This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Well, one thing I know about every one of us in this room uh, is that we each have ways of trying to figure out what we should do, don't we? We all have ways and means of figuring out how to answer questions, figure out problems, make decisions, choices. We all have ways, in one way or another, of moving from A to B, from I don't know what to do, to here's what we're going to do, right? We all have different ways of doing that. My understanding is actually that the average human uh, uh, adult, male, uh, female, uh, makes 35,000 decisions every day. I thought that was staggering. In 35,000 ways, we move from A to B, from I don't know to here's what we're going to do every single day. And we all have ways going about making those kinds of choices. Now, as a church staff, we just finished doing uh, one of those personality tests, you know, one of those Enneagram, DISC, that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the things that those tests typically measure is how you make decisions, right? How you make decisions. One of the things that almost always uh, shows up on my particular test of how I make decisions is that when it comes to life, I make decisions with my gut, right? If you can't tell what this is up in the nosebleeds, it's a stomach. And uh, I tend to make decisions with my gut based on intuition, right? Based on my instincts, or like that, that cheesy phrase, based on my heart, right? I just make decisions by following my heart. And I, if you're like me in that, you can't always explain to somebody why you're choosing to do this. You just know. You just know this is the right thing to do. Others of us, on the other hand, we have a different way of making decisions, right? When it comes to making decisions, uh, we like to be very analytical, right? We like to read. We like to study. We like to research. It's a stack of books if you can't see it. And uh, that's what we oftentimes turn to to figure out how to make a decision. And after we finally have done all of that data collection, right, finally after mountains and piles of research, we are prepared to make a decision, right? Now, others of us, on the other hand, this is the last one, we typically make decisions, well, we just don't like to make decisions, actually. <laughs> In fact, we run from decision-making, right? We hate that pressure of having to decide, you know, where we're going to eat tonight, then we look at the menu, and we want to know what the other person's having. Now, I'm picking on this decision-making process, but you know, the truth is, is, is that, you know, some of us, we like to know what your gut thinks. We want to know what your research says. We want to know what your opinion is. We're consensus builders when it comes to making decisions. But all of us, at one time or another, no matter how you like to make decisions, no matter how hard you try, at one time or another, we've all been stuck. We've all been faced with a decision, and we can't seem to get clarity about it. No matter how hard we try, right? We've all had moments and seasons of that feeling of confusion. 
Maybe you're facing one right now in life, right, where you just can't seem to get clarity about what you should do, and the clock is ticking, right? You, maybe you've tried to get some advice, and you got bad advice. Maybe you got conflicting advice about what you should do, and it's left you more confused than when you started. Others of us, we look at our past, our past way of, of experiences and past set of, of, of choices and decisions, and we see all kinds of twists and turns in our choices that's left us with regret. We have regret about that night. We have regret about that week. We have regret about that whole season of our life. And it's left us with a lot of confusion about how we should go about making decisions into the future. Maybe you were so confused, that's how you ended up back in church, right? You figured, hey, maybe somebody else has an idea how I can deal with this regret and these confusions. Maybe some of us in here, we're looking ahead. We're looking down the road to some of the big decisions. Maybe you've graduated from something, right? Maybe you're coming up to a finish line in life, and you're thinking about what's next, and what's God's will for my life? You're trying all kinds of stuff to try to figure out that answer of who you should date, what job you should pursue, or maybe just where you left your car keys. You know, the big questions in life. We all have times, past, present, or future, where we struggle with confusion, where we struggle to have clarity about what we should do. We struggle to answer the question of how, even, can I have clarity when I don't know what to do? How do I get clarity in life when I don't know what to do? I want to share with you an answer to that question uh, and wherever that question might be sparked from in your life, whether it's today or someday, I want to share it with you about how you can have greater clarity in your decisions and the questions you're being faced with. And this invitation, I want you to know, it's available to anybody. You know, maybe somebody invites you, this is your first time here or whatnot. This invitation is available to you. And we're going to see it from a passage of Scripture today from the book of Proverbs. Um, and what I want you to turn to is, is chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs. If you're not very familiar with your Bible and you've never even heard of the book of Proverbs, um, the truth is you've probably encountered Proverbs. You just didn't know it. Uh, Proverbs has some of the most common sayings that we ever face in life, that we ever come across. Uh, sayings like, pride goes before the fall, right? Or, spare the rod, spoil the child. Or, beauty is fleeting, right? Those are all different snippets that people have said from the book of Proverbs. Because Proverbs is a collection of wisdom. Uh, a collection of wisdom that primarily a man named Solomon either wrote or assembled and he uh, wrote and put this book together for the point of instructing people how to make wise choices and avoid foolish decisions. In the first chapter, we're told that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. This awe-filled respect is what is meant to drive our decision-making. And as we do that, we avoid foolish choices. And what we're going to look at is a section that happens right after that in chapter 3. Uh, the first three chapters, they kind of function as a theology of wisdom. And then it's in the rest of the book that you have all those kind of short, pithy uh, little statements about what the wise thing is to do in different situations. 
And really, those statements, you know, we should make sure we, we understand that Proverbs in those statements is presenting the way that life typically works, not a guarantee of how life always works. You have to understand the context of that. But anyways, as we're going to zero in uh, on this passage in, in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, what we have here in this section is a part where Solomon has set it up where you have this uh, bookends of this phrase of my son, and what happens uh, throughout it is that there are these six pieces of two verses each. It's a beautiful, very elaborate structure in here. And the first verse of every one of these pieces, verse 1, 3, 5, and so on, they all have a piece of counsel. And what follows it in the next verse each time, 2, 4, 6, so forth, is the reward of following that counsel. And we're going to focus on just one of these pieces, beginning in chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Or as some of you learned it growing up, he will make your paths straight. If you grew up going to church or Sunday school, this is a classic, right? This is one you've heard before. But think through what the passage is saying. The first piece is trust in the Lord with all of your heart. This idea of uh, trust here is saying that you have, are to have a growing confidence in God, that he knows what he's doing, that he's doing what is best all the time. There's confidence in him. The word trust here, it's paralleled in the next verse with the word lean, right? This idea is a picture of leaning on something. We're to be leaning on the Lord. We're to be trusting him, not just in part, but with all of our heart, with all of our uh, thoughts, with all of our desires, with all of our hopes, that with all of our self, we are leaning on him. It says that we're doing that instead of leaning on our own understanding, right? As in our thinking, right? our ways of, of making life work for us. We all have ways of making ourselves happy and trying to make other people happy with us, right? We all have ways of figuring out life. We all have a natural bent in life towards creating those things. This is calling us saying we're not to be leaning on that. Instead, we're to be leaning on the Lord. We're to replace it with uh, leaning on the Lord for our confidence that he is our trust, not our natural way. And here's how we're to do that. The next part of the verse, by acknowledging him in all of our ways. The book of Proverbs is going to go on here to give example after example of how we can handle problems God's way instead of ours. For example, it's going to push back against the idea of going in debt, saying that, hey, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Do you want to be a slave? No? Okay, great. You know, why don't we wait to get that credit card then, right? It's going to go on to push against uh, using beauty to get someplace, saying that beauty without discretion, it's, it's like a, the nose ring of a pig, right? It's like putting a gold ring in the nose of a pit, pig. So be thoughtful what you do with your beauty and what you wear. It's going to say that not disciplining your children correctly is not loving, so discipline them out of love. 
Proverbs is going to supply example after example of applying God's ways to life. And again, the repetition here is with all of our hearts. It's with all of our ways. It's this idea of complete commitment. It's stressing surrender in everything. Not just one area, in every area we're to surrender to him. And that as a result, he will make your path straight. That's the natural reward of following, of surrendering to God in all of our ways. It's clarity. Clarity follows surrender. Why don't you write that down? Clarity follows surrender. If you're not a Christian and you're wondering, hey, how, do I, how can I know what to do in life? Well, let me tell you, what you do in life is following out of surrender. It's following out of where you're leaning on. And so for a follower of Jesus Christ, it starts with a surrendered life to him. Certain options in that become clear because certain things get eliminated. Other things get highlighted. Uh, the way we make decisions with our gut or with our research or with our friendships, they all come under that trust of saying, I am confident in his wisdom. I'm confident in his way of doing things. That It's for the best. It's for the best for us. It's the best for me. That I'm committed to putting those things in the practice. That's an attitude then that says, hey, before I even know what he wants me to do, it's already yes. I mean, I don't even know what he wants me to do with my money yet, but it's yes. I don't know what he wants me to do in that kind of relationship, but the answer is yes. It's a surrendered attitude that says yes before I even know because I have total trust, complete trust with all of my heart, with all of my ways, that if the answer is to forgive, it's yes. Whatever his way is, it's already yes. And the natural reward from that kind of attitude is that he will make your path straight. The idea of straight here is clear. It's obvious. It's morally good. It's later on contrasted with the foolish man's way, which is crooked. Clarity is to be the natural outcome of surrender. I think one of the tensions that we face in this truth is that we have the wrong idea about surrender. See, we oftentimes, we are surrendering uh, to get something rather than to someone. We are surrendering to get permission. We are surrendering to get an answer. We are surrendering to get clarity. It's not, that's not surrender, friends. That's trading. That's saying, hey, listen, I'll follow if I get this. If I can have permission, if I can have an answer, if I can know, then I'll surrender. That's not surrender. That's trading. That's trading. I remember going through rounds of this, big rounds of this in college, trying to make decisions and wonder, God, what's your will for my life? You know, I just want it to be this and this. And, and you know, I want to know in this way and this way. And I need answers about X, Y, and Z. And I would get nowhere. Fasting and praying, wondering what to do. God, why won't you answer? And I began to realize that the answer was him. The answer was, I'm not actually surrendering. I'm trying to trade here. I'm trying to trade my surrender for clarity. 
I realize this may seem a little bit deeper, but our first calling in life is not what we do. It is to God himself. Being with him is the answer. It is the satisfaction of our hearts. And until we are with him, until there is surrender, there's no clarity. There's no real clarity. Until he is our trust, then we can't acknowledge him in all of our ways. We're not trusting him then. If we are going to truly trust him, then we're going to be able to then take that next step of following his ways. Our confidence in him and our obedience to him are linked. Remember, our, our trust and our acknowledgement to him are linked. We're called to acknowledge him, by the way, and not just part of our ways, but all of our ways. Somebody pointed out the very real struggle uh, that we have for this. As I was studying for this message, I came across a very brilliant, I thought, comparison here. They were asking the question, why is it that an ER doctor seems to have a lot more success than a counselor? That's pretty clear. When you walk into ER, you don't give any more directions, right? You don't give any advice. You don't give any orders, right? You give one thing, yes. You have one option, I'll do it, right? You have surrender when you walk into ER, but when you walk into a counselor's office, it's a lot different, right? You, you drive home uh, you know, with the car or with your spouse, and you go, well, I don't know about what he said. I don't, I don't know about that. You know, I don't know about this. You know, you, you, you're not taking orders. You're taking advice. Friends, we need to st- stop treating God like a cosmic therapist with suggestions. Instead, we need to look at him like an ER doctor with orders, not just in part, but with the whole. In all of our ways, we're to acknowledge him. That's the idea behind acknowledge here, by the way. It's not just, hey, nice seeing you, right? No, it's more than that. It's the verb of knowing him. This is an intimate experience. This is a personal experience saying, I recognize him and his authority. He is the doctor for my decisions. He is the one who I trust so much so that I'm already going to do whatever he says. I'm going to personally come under that kind of authority. That's acknowledging God. It's not leaving the back door open saying, hey, you know, if this doesn't work out, we got some options back here. No, it's all in. It's all in. It's surrender, not trading. I'll obey in surrender. In trading, I'm open for other options. And here's the thing of why this really matters so much with our surrender and this idea. It's because God is more interested in you knowing him than he is in you knowing your path. I want you to realize that God is more interested in you knowing him than you knowing what to do next. That's what his personal interest is in here. And that, by the way, makes our passage that we're looking at not just sequential, it also makes it prioritized. That's why at the beginning of the book we hear about the fear of the Lord as being the beginning of wisdom. That's why when life doesn't seem to work out, it's still okay because we're with him. True surrender isn't for something. It is to someone. We're told here that the result is clarity. The result is clarity that God will make our path straight. 
we'll have greater clarity. I want to give you a picture this morning uh, to help us uh, have an idea of what is that kind of clarity in life? What does that look like? I want to encourage you, you know, if you're listening by this by podcast, don't draw it. But, uh, but if you're here this morning, you're welcome to follow along. What I want you to put up on here first is a square. It's a square. I want you to picture, imagine, that if you could somehow fit all of the things that you could ever do, all the things that you could ever want inside of this square, that all those things were there. Uh, we know as finite human beings that we can't just do whatever we want. We can't just want whatever we want. We're limited in those things. Only God is, is omnipotent. He's only uh, one who's omniscient. So we could fit all of our things inside of a finite thing. The uh, second thing I want you to draw in here is I want you to put a, a circle in here. Put a circle in there. I want you to think that this represents that moral line that God has established for our life. That everything in our life is, can fall in one way or another onto one side of this line. That there are things that are wrong and there are things that are right. That we've been given God, by God clarity as to what to do in so many things. You don't have to wonder if, you know, sex outside marriage is wrong because God's established the line for you. You don't have to wonder about cheating or gossip or lying and so forth because God has established a line that says that that's wrong and that this is right. And that everything inside of this line, we are free to do. Sometimes we, we think that we are only free in small decisions. That's not the case. God has given you freedom in small decisions of what toothbrush to buy at Walmart. He's also given you freedom in big decisions of what job to take. If that doesn't fall into a category of sin, you're welcome to, to take that job. You have freedom in Christ inside of what is right and wrong. Moreover, you also have freedom about who to marry, right? You have freedom in Christ to marry somebody as long as you're not crossing over a boundary of right and wrong that God has set up. I want you to put one more thing on here. I want you to imagine a, a wavy line going all the way around the inside of this circle. Because oftentimes, uh, we need not just to know what's right and wrong, we also need wisdom. See, wisdom helps to keep us further from sin and closer to enjoying a righteous life with Christ. It keeps us closer to enjoying life and further from doing what's wrong. Wisdom says that, hey, you know what? It's not wrong to be wealthy, but we better be careful what we do with our wealth and how we gain it. Uh, wisdom says it, it, it's not wrong to talk a lot, but you better be careful what you say because it's not hard sometimes if you're talking a lot to end up in sin, right? Wisdom helps keep us further from crossing over the line of sin and closer to doing what is right. Final thing I want you to put on here is a dot. A dot. Because there are times inside of our life where God might speak to you. There's times in your life where he might tell you to go somewhere, to give something, to say something, and so forth. It might be something that at times, it might not even uh, feel wise because you're risking something. Maybe you're going against some of the natural ways of doing things. But it is wise because you are obediently trusting the Lord for your way. It's done out of a desire to trust him with all of your heart.
It might sometimes seem unwise to speak up in a certain meeting, but God might prompt you to say something. It might feel wiser to just keep your mouth shut when God's saying, I want you to open it. I want you to risk. I want you to obey me. That that is what the wise thing to do would be. Oftentimes, though, this is the one thing that we're really worried about, right? We're really worried about getting these things right and hearing from God in some particular way. We get really concerned and worked up about these kinds of moments, and we sometimes ignore the rest of the clarity that God has given us in our life and say that, well, God doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he's not really helping me with my confusion here. No. I want you to realize, if God chooses in some way to, to speak to you, give you, you know, a, a, a something to do specifically, he won't make it unclear. It will be clear. You won't be wondering, was that last night's pizza that I'm feeling right now? You won't be wondering about it. Our God is a great communicator. And if he doesn't use it, I want you to know, that doesn't mean that he hasn't provided you with clarity about what he's calling on you to do. And as we're making decisions with this kind of complete commitment, we can see this modeled for us by Jesus. We can see this modeled in the life of Christ as he took on a finite human form, as he was tempted in every way, Scripture tells us, but never did anything wrong, but did everything right. We're also told that he grew in wisdom and stature, right? Jesus knew at times what would cause offense and avoids it. And other times, out of the following, the leading of the Holy Spirit, he runs right towards it. He takes risks. He takes risks by having conversations with a prostitute that we would say, hey, don't ever, you know, don't ever go near that line, right? We would say that that wouldn't be the wise thing to do, but because he's following the leading of the Holy Spirit, it is exactly the wise thing to do. We can look at it and see that Jesus perfectly follows the Lord with all of his heart, in all of his ways, and he enjoys the clarity of knowing his Father's will. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I want to give you a couple of thoughts here. First of all, in whatever your typical decision-making style might be, we need to work at internalizing the truths of Proverbs. If you're like me, and you're a little more of the uh, gut decision maker, right, you need to actually work at having personal experience doing the Proverbs. You need to personally put your hands to the test because I know something about gut decision makers. We base a lot of our gut on our past experience, right? We base it on what we know, and that's what makes us make those kinds of decisions. So we need to personally experience that. If you're a little more of the analytical uh, way of de making decisions, you need to especially spend time reading and studying Scripture that is going to help you think in a way that will allow that uh, thinking to influence your actions. Thinking is, is a key thing here. And so taking time to study Proverbs, to study Scripture is important. And finally, if you're someone who, who leads a little bit more by consensus, you, you lean on friends for advice and so forth, you need to make sure that your life is filled with friends and advice givers that will point you in a direction that's in alignment with God's ways. And if, along the way, 
if you're obeying him, and you're not dealing with confusion, you start dealing with fear, like I'm concerned about having that conversation, I'm concerned about obeying in that way, you need to do, well, I had to do this last week, of writing out that fear, putting pen to paper and asking the question, am I really going to let that keep me from obeying God? Am I really going to let fear of finances keep me back? Am I really going to let fear of my emotions in conflict keep me back? Am I really going to let fear of letting go of bitterness keep me back? And you're able to look at that and go, of course not. Of course not. Why would I ever let my own understanding decide what I'm going to do as a follower of Jesus? I want to remind all of us, we all have spots in our past with regret. And you may be looking at your past and feeling like it's a mountain of regret. I want to remind you that living as a follower of Jesus means living by grace. As my friend in here, Maria Silvey, likes to say, that you are what you are in spite of your regrets, not because of them. Because living in grace means that your life has no amount of regret that can keep you from God's hopeful future. No amount of regret, no amount of sin can ever hold you back from a future outcome that has hope and life in it with God's grace. And friends, it's a new day. 35,000 decisions will be awaiting you. So you can live. Not letting regret holds you back because the hope that comes from surrender leads to a clarity of life. And you can live enjoying that clarity. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we recognize your goodness and your mercy towards us. We recognize that your kindness in every way has led us to this moment of being able to recognize your grace in our life that your heart is for us, that you haven't left us uh, without clarity, that as we surrender, instead, we get to receive it. And so, Lord, would you come? Father, this morning for uh, the moments in our world where we sense that fear, that anxiety about what to do, would you remind us, you are our ER doctor. You are the one who is influencing our decisions, and we're able to trust in you, not fear, We're able to look to you in confidence and in faith, not wondering, not being doubtful, but instead enjoying who you are and the life that comes. Amen.